All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go ye, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The mission. So a vision, a purpose, a mission, and a passion. The way he accomplishes that is through his Holy Spirit. Is it not? And today as we approach the book of James, Judd has carefully outlined and taken us through that, and we've learned in chapter 1 the trials and temptations, listening and doing. Uh, We've learned the favoritism and and loving our neighbors. We've learned in chapter 2 about faith and deeds. And last week, Judd talked to us about taming the tongue. Very convicting message. Well, underneath that, tucked underneath that, James goes into wisdom. And we're going to take a look at that. If you open your Bibles with me to James in chapter 3, we will read from there here momentarily. And we're going to learn today that there are two types of wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom, and then there's a heavenly wisdom. And in James' manner, in his comparison, compare and contrast rhetorical fashion as he makes his way through this book and just as we saw last week in the tongue he said a mouth gives praise and it gives curses out of the same mouth should that be a spring provides both fresh water and salt water a tree bears both figs and olives and he asks a rhetorical question he says should this be that a vine bearing grape should also bear figs a tree bears fruits and should it also be that a salt spring provide fresh water? In other words, can your mouth, if you're really connected to God and to heaven, can your mouth really overflow with cursing and bitterness and anger and all those things that come out? No. No, not when you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not. So today, as we finish this, we will see very clearly there's a heavenly wisdom. We're going to learn how, hopefully, to tap into that, and a worldly wisdom, and we, all, we know all too well how to tap into that. So as we read from James chapter 3 and verse 13 through 18, it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And he says this in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Five and a half years ago, my wife and I, we had never owned a home, we'd never built a home, and we built our first home in Edwards, Colorado. And once that was done, the last thing you do is do your landscaping, and so we had ordered some trees and had this friend of mine who's a landscape architect say, okay, put this here, put this here. And you really want to punctuate the entrance to your place with a Colorado blue spruce. And you want one here and you want one over here. And you say, oh, that's great. And we had these guys come in and we helped them. We plant these trees. Well, for five and a half years, we've had this one particular tree that's right in the front of our house that has struggled. And bless its heart, it looks five times worse than Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. The, the trunk of it, it it's never has grown in girth, but it's grown a little bit in height. And so it comes out, and it's narrow at the base, unlike a blue spruce, any pine tree. 
and it's narrow, and then it kind of burps out, and it's just straggly, and it's horrible. And then it comes up and burps out again, and then it's got this long, dry stick that sits at the very top. Well, we've deep-root-feeded it. We've went to Home Depot and consulted and got pebbles and watered it, and it's got a drip line, and we've turned it up and changed the emitters. We've tried everything for five and a half years. By the summer, Lori says, that thing's got to go. We'll put a bush there. I mean, that's pathetic. You know, give it up, green thumb. I mean, so, okay. I get my truck back up, put it in four low, because I think this is going to be a task, right? It's a 10, 8-foot tree or whatever. Throw my shinatchum strap around it, pull up. Pull up, pull up, pull up. Get out of the truck. There's lays the tree. It wasn't anything. It just kind of fell out. It was pathetic. The root ball was about this big. I thought, what in the world? I wonder if it got a disease. So went over there and go to analyzing this thing, chip away the dirt at the base, and lo and behold, at the base of the trunk, when they planted that tree, they hadn't untied these cords, nylon cords that held the wire basket to it. And there this tree was, choked, about an inch and a half in, was choked with three nylon strands that they didn't release. And so for five and a half years, this little tree had struggled for survival. It didn't die. It was just, with all of its might, it was trying to live and produce and was doing a pathetic job at it. And we'll come back to that illustration, and you can probably see a little bit where it's going, but the cords that had been useful at one point in holding that basket together had now suffocated that tree almost to death and made it look abnormal on the outside. Frankly, barely resembling a blue spruce at all. It stifled its growth. It wasn't bearing fruit. It was, from all observations, simply struggling not to fall over, let alone be useful, fruitful, or productive in providing shade or beauty at all. And in James 3, 9 through 18, we look back at the passage and contrast the two sources of speech and wisdom, and we notice a Greek word that's also used in our passage today in, in two kinds of wisdom, and that Greek word is pikros or prakria, used in two different places there in these passages, and certainly means bitter, as your New Testament will, or your NIV, I should say, and I think even the ESV translates that as bitter. Verse 14, if you harbor bitter envy. But up previously, it also talks about your mouth, can it spring forth fresh water and bitterness? No, is the rhetorical question and answer to that. And that word pakros or pakria certainly means bitter, but it also means acrid. It means pungent. It means piercing. It means critical. It means caustic. Is that what comes out of your mouth? when certain situations arise that we Judd did a great job blowing that out last week. But today we're looking at wisdom. And is that your worldly wisdom? When you come upon a situation, is your wisdom immediately usher you into an acrid and caustic and pugnant uh, outlook on that? Why? What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with this situation? Can't they just, how come this doesn't, what is up with that? Is that what your worldly wisdom, is that the first thing that you launch into? We'll look at that a little bit deeper. Verse 13, let's read that. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, 
by deeds done in humility, in the humility that comes from wisdom. So we just learned from that passage, just draw that out just for a second. Where does humility come from? Are there some kids here? I wish I love my fourth and fifth graders. I wish they were here. Joseph, where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. Amen. In this passage, it says wisdom comes from, or humility comes from, wisdom. Humility comes from wisdom. And not to put you on the spot, I know that's embarrassing. I'm just looking for kids. And that's who I want to deliver this to. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing in doing good deeds, but they should be done in secret. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So the good life, the good deeds need to be done in wisdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us what wise good deeds look like and those that are done in secret. Not so men will see you and praise you. In verse 14, we read, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it and deny the truth. Again, that word harbor means to, certainly means to harbor. It means to have and to hold, to possess bitterness. Don't hold on to bitterness. There's that word again that we were talking about, that acrid, piercing, pungent, critical bitterness and selfish ambition in your hearts. Your deeds should be done in humility. In the depths of, the, of your heart, are you saying, can't they see what I'm doing? Since I did this, then surely will they not see me and give me some praise, pat me on the back? Do you boast about your deeds in your own heart and not even verbalize them, but just think in your own mind, look at me, look what I'm doing. I'm getting this, I got this, I got this, I'm doing this, doing this, doing this. This is good, this is all good. Taskmaster, I'm guilty of that. What might denying the truth mean here in verse 14? If you harbor, don't boast about it, don't deny the truth. In John 15, 26, you're denying the work of the Holy Spirit if you're denying the truth because he said he's going to send his counselor the spirit of truth. And if you're denying the truth about a certain matter and the way that you're going about something and your attitude is not right and you're not tapping into heavenly wisdom, are you not suppressing the Holy Spirit? Certainly. Verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but in earthly, unspiritual of the devil. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. The bitter, self-serving, envious, selfish ambition type of good deeds comes from the world. It's unspiritual and from, from the devil himself. I submit to you, and this is not easy to say, and I'll say it first for myself, that oftentimes that is my internal heart-mind in going about certain things. Not always. And let's not throw this pendulum clear over to the... And we're all just a bunch of loser, filthy, grovel, self-flagellate and go into that and walk out of here discouraged, not encouraged. But don't you? Don't we, don't we have a tendency to migrate towards, well, if I do this, and, you know, I'm the one that's getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning leading the Bible study. I'm by golly, I'm there. Sure. Again, it's not a habit, but we just need to be conscious of it and just hold that in a tenuous balance and constantly, constantly, as this passage tells us to, Look towards heaven and draw on that heavenly wisdom. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, 
There you find disorder in every evil practice. Have you ever noticed the spirit or the culture of a place where you have a bunch of do-gooders that are more interested in beating their chest than they are loving the people, serving the people, genuinely caring for the people? You've been there. You've all been there. You walk into an environment where you have a bunch of busybodies that are just cold. The whole place is cold. This is temperature cold. We need to warm this place up. But I believe when you walk into Eagle Bible Church, at least our goal and our ambition is, that, you know, we've talked about this before. You walk in, it's just, ah, oh, it's good to see you, Trapper. How you doing, brother? Hey, Jim. How you doing, man? Great. How you doing? Good. Good. Great to see you. All you guys love you. Love to stand back there when the church was going. Just looking at the people. Francis Chan did this video, and he was asking a friend of his at the last Shepherds Conference in October, and he asked his friend, how do you prepare? He asked this buddy of his, they're backstage, how do you prepare? He said, I peek around the curtain, and I look at the people, and I just pray for them. And I just run through my mind, these are God's people. God's brought these people. Whether it's 2,000 or two, God's brought these people. I didn't pray for them. And Francis was like, wow, that's really good. He said, well, how do you prepare? He said, well, I mean, it's not bad, but I just, I just imagine God right there. I mean, I'm preaching today to God, and I want to glorify him, and I do. But I've got to be honest with you. I've never thought about looking out on the people and saying, wow, you're God's man, and I love you. And, and I'm preaching today to you because I love you, because he loves you. I mean, this is Francis Chen, right? I mean, a giant in the faith. It was beautiful. This one guy I was telling Judd, it's, he's one of those guys, if you get a chance, go to the website, Desiring God, and listen to that message. I mean, he's one of those guys, we've talked about this before, that just want to hug. You know, can I be your buddy? Can I be your buddy? Can I just come up to you and hug you, please? Right? He just has that countenance to him. We don't want to be about this disorder and every evil practice because if it's not done in the spirit of love and what we just talked about and what Francis Chan shared with us, if it's not done in that way, then it's, where's it from? Oh my, it's from the devil. Oh, come on. I didn't write it. It's evil and it's from the devil himself. So we need to weigh very carefully how we go about our service to the Lord. Verse 17 but the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from heaven, I love this word, is first of all pure, then peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It says that wisdom that comes from heaven and then essentially gives us a mixture of the Beatitudes and the fruits of the Spirit, does it not? The poor, the mourn, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers and the persecuted from the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, look at the list, right? comes from heaven's first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Isn't that the Sermon on the Mount? The poor, the merciful, the mourning, the meek, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted. They're almost all right there. But then again, look, it also incorporates some of the fruits of the Spirit. Does it not? This wisdom that comes from heaven, comes from heaven, has those attributes in it, right? The fruits of the Spirit. Of what Spirit? The Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. 
all those things? It's pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Is that the way that we go about our business in the world, loving our wives, loving our children, coming to set up a church, wiping snotty noses and changing diapers, all that stuff? Is that the wisdom that we're going about as we said at the very first of this message, navigating our way through life? Is that your mindset and your attitude as we make our way through here? Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Verse 18. We want to pause here just for a second. And, and I, I realize we want to be very careful to, to exegetically, and, and, I, and I do, and I take this very seriously. You guys know this. I want, to, I want to bring out the meaning of this passage, right? And it's heavenly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And I want to expositorily bring out and look at some of the Greek words as we've talked about, and I, I want to be very careful about that. But there's also a technique called eisegesis when you smuggle in a meaning that's not there at all. And I just want to tell you, I'm not trying to smuggle anything in this morning. Because we're going to take a little detour, and we're going to look at the source of wisdom. And I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Okay? I realize it's not here. I'm not trying to smuggle it in. So I just want to get that white elephant out in case some of you think, well, where, it's not even in there. You're trying to make a message. No, I'm not. Okay? And you'll see this tie all back together at the end. Okay, so just hang with me just for a little bit, and you'll understand this, and, and you see it. You've seen it as I have. There's been a tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. That same guy, Francis Chan, that I just told you about, he wrote a whole book called uh, Forgotten God, right after Crazy Love. How many people read Crazy Love? Did you like that? Read this book. It's fantastic. It's called Forgotten God, and it's about the tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ in recent history. We've all seen it. We've seen the mega churches explode. And has there been in this massive explosion of megachurches around the country, are we seeing a massive explosion of disciples and a transformed United States of America? And, And haven't those churches in Chicago and Seattle and California just transformed Los Angeles and Seattle and Chicago? I mean, you hear about revival all the time, right? No. Sadly enough, not. And I'm not here slamming. Don't hear me. I revere those men that have raised them up. They're doing everything that they can, everything they know how to do. But we've neglected the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, a lot of it has to do because the abuses of the Holy Spirit, right? And we won't get into that, but just any time you bring up the Holy Spirit, just sometimes you just, whoa, don't, don't bring that up. You're going to barking like dogs and... Flopping around in the, I'm, not, I'm just not into that. I got it. Neither are we. And neither is God. Okay? We're not here to make something, to go beyond what is written, actually, as Paul says, right, in Corinthians. But we also know that the Holy Spirit is the very power of the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And that same Spirit dwells in you and raised and transformed you into a child of God. Amen? So let's just spend a few minutes and get acquainted with the third person of the Trinity. And we want to first do this. Those people that have heard me and and the way I teach, I just like to book in stuff and I like to start with big picture and make it big and chunky and easy because that's just the way my brain works, okay? 
So if we want to get reacquainted just with the Spirit, we start in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and what do we find hovering over the waters? The Spirit of God. And in Revelation chapter 22 and 17, we we see the Spirit of God and the bride saying, come and drink from the free gift of the water of life. Genesis and Revelation. First couple of verses, last couple of verses in the Bible. The Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Bookends of the Gospel. In Matthew 3, we see the Holy Spirit descend down on Jesus like a dove and rest on Him. And God say, this is my Son in whom I'm pleased. And in John 14, the last gathering with His disciples, Jesus tells them all about the Holy Spirit in 14, 15, and 16, chapters 14, and how He's going to indwell them and they and He and them before God and in God. Tells them all about the Holy Spirit. When I leave, I'll leave you a counselor and he'll comfort you and he'll remind you of everything that I've spoken to you. He tells us all about it. So at the first of his ministry, the Holy Spirit descends down on him. And the very end of his ministry, or vice versa, for you guys looking this way, at the very end, he raises himself from the dead. He shows up on the disciples and he breathes on them. And what's he breathe on them? The Holy Spirit. But in his last gathering with them, his last meeting with them, he teaches them all about the Holy Spirit that's going to live in them. Beginning in the early church. Okay, so there's the Bible. There's Jesus' ministry. What about the early church and just the throughout church history? Well, everybody knows the, a lot of the Holy Spirit's work is done in the book of Acts, right? Or we see a lot about it. Jesus even tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then arguably, you just have to go with me here, in Revelation in chapter 1 when John is in the Spirit, okay, so it's not the end of the church age, but the letters that address takes us through the entire church age. So we have the early church in Acts chapter 1 and all the way through the church history. In Revelation 1 when John was in the Spirit and Jesus instructed him to write seven letters. Okay, and he challenges them all and he says, church Ephesus are just, I like to, for me, I like to park the church names aside and read those letters so they're for me. Have you lost your first love, Eric? Do you still have that same passion that you had when you first came to know the Lord? When you came back from that Promise Keepers event or that pathway that you did in 1990 or, or that conversion experience in 1978, do you still have that same fire and vigor that you had? For No. And you know what he says at the end of that letter? Listen to what the Spirit has to say. And then he goes on to this other church, to Smyrna, and he says, I know you're being squeezed out and you just about can't handle it and you can't take another task. You cannot take another straw. It's going to snap you. But hold on. You know how he ends that letter? Listen to what the Spirit has to say. Thyatira, have you married yourself to the world? Are we, me included, okay, Have I married myself so much to technology and to the world and to the entertainment systems that provide themselves in the very front living room space of my home and in my car and everywhere I can't get enough? Am I so married to the world that I can't even focus on God and Christ? Listen to what the Spirit has to say. Have you so become so tolerant? I think it's Pergamum. Help me, some of you Revelations buffs where you've, been, you've become tolerant, and he says of this woman Jezebel, but it's really of sexual immorality and just tolerance. I'll just use tolerance. Or you become so tolerant that you're really ineffective in your workplace or at home. Just tolerant. Oh, it's all good. Just love on them. 
I'm all about love. Hear me, I am about love. But I'm also about confronting people with the truth in love. But have you become so tolerant, that woman Jezebel? Have you become like her? Listen to what the Spirit has to say. Seven times he goes through there and takes us through the entire church history and says at the end of every letter, listen to what the Spirit has to say. Reacquaint ourselves with that Holy Spirit. What about Paul's ministry? So we go with the Bible. We looked at Jesus' ministry. We looked at the early church in the beginning and the end. What about Paul's ministry himself? Well, arguably, and it's, this really is, isn't important, but just so that it's technically accurate, we think that Galatians may be the first letter that he wrote, okay? And that's what he talks a lot about, the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, okay? The first, again, arguably put him in there. It's kind of not important, but at the beginning of his ministry, he writes the letters to the Thessalonians, and he says this, and he, exhor- he exhorts his followers in saying this, he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And he goes on in 4.8 to instruct them in right living and says, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So it's pretty important for Paul up front. And then in Romans, you can read a lot about the Holy Spirit. We're going to close with that at the end of this message today. But at the very end of Paul's ministry, at the very end of Paul's ministry from a prison cell, he drafts the prison epistles. Does he not? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In a musty prison cell, probably with his waist in the corner. Dark, dingy, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I've got to get these letters out. My head's coming off pretty quick. He knows his time is near. What am I going to say? Okay, I'll tell you what he said. At the end of his ministry, Paul writes this from the prison epistles. Be strengthened through the Holy Spirit. Be one in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Be helped by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Be like-minded. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from His love, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same purpose. Being one in spirit. Being one in spirit. Worship by the spirit. And he encouraged them to love in the spirit. And in Colossians, he opens and he says, I pray that you'd be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Bible as a whole, Genesis and Revelation, Jesus' ministry, bookended. Paul's ministry, bookended. The church, bookended. What about the Old Testament? We know, you guys have heard me during communion say Jeremiah 31, Exodus 36, Ezekiel 36, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to send you a new spirit and put my spirit in you. Amen. And then it's confirmed in the Lord's Supper when Jesus is sitting around with them. This is the blood of the new covenant. Right? Amen. The tendency... And I'll say this, and I believe, I hope it was Holy Spirit inspired. The tendency for me, and I, and I think with you, is that when I get a message from James, and I get a list of things, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to be more considerate, more full of mercy, more peace-loving, more good, fruitful, and a peacemaker, okay? How am I going to do that? Okay, and I start walking around, and I'm going to be a peaceful. Hi, how are you doing? My name's Eric Peterson. Good, good to have you. You know, and I start trying to do this on my own. 
okay? And I see you at the door, and I see you, and I really don't want to be with you, and it just becomes this, this plastic thing, right? No. If we have heavenly wisdom that comes from heaven, it's full of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we can accomplish any of these things. If we try to do, if we try to do them from a fleshly human perspective, we're going to fail every time. It has to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to ask for it. It's very easy for us, especially in Western culture, to get caught up in earning our way, right? This is a Western culture. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you write a business plan, you go borrow some money, and you're a self-made millionaire or whatever, right? I mean, it's in our culture. Be what you want to be, the self-esteem, the stuff, and it's all whatever, okay? It's very easy in our culture, is it not, to, to, to just default to earning and doing these things. If I'm, if I, okay, I want to be wise, so I need to be pure, I need to be peaceful. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't. I just want to caution the listener that without the help of the Holy Spirit, your efforts are futile and they don't glorify God. And in the words of James, they're evil. They're from the devil. If you're doing anything that is not Holy Spirit-inspired and Holy Spirit-led and God-led, it's evil. Doesn't that feel icky? I hate that. I do a lot of stuff without the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you that right now. And on my own, I'll even do this. I can hear, you know, that still small voice. I'm not being weird. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're getting into a difficult position. You're in a difficult meeting and there's confrontation coming. Step aside, Holy Spirit. I got this one. I got this one. Okay? And it's... And we just mow them down. Right? And then you leave and then the Holy Spirit says, how'd that work for you? He's a gentleman. He's a comforter and a counselor. And you know what? He'll never barge in. He'll say, that's okay. Oh, you, you have it, all right? That's, that's cool. I'll be right here. Mm, shoot. How'd that work for you, bro? Not so well. Hmm. That's all right. Because God works all things together for the good. And those have been called to glory. So you're going to learn a good lesson by this? It's going to take a while to get back on track. But that's okay. I'm right here with you. I'll walk with you. Kind of a bummer for you, but I'll use it for good, okay? In the end, it'll glorify the Holy Father because that's my job. That's my job as the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father. That's my job. So you can, if you want me to stand aside, doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're folding clothes and doing ironing or helping a patient in a hospital bed or doing a spreadsheet or whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, if you don't want me involved, it's all good. That's cool. I'll be right here when you call. And there's a limit. And sometimes, not different than Lori saying, honey, that tree's got to go. It's got to go. I'm sick and tired of looking at it. We know from John chapter 15 that my father's the gardener. I'm the vine. I'm the vine. And I, I cut off branches that don't bear fruit. So be careful how far you push the Holy Spirit because God is very jealous of his Holy Spirit and he watches out for him very closely and if you stunt him and ignore him and blaspheme him be very very careful God will pull you up and take you home praise the Lord and that's not some kind of scare tactic Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your own goals 
by human effort? Does not God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or does God give you? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? No. Or is it because you've heard and received? And he goes on to say in verse 14, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And in chapter 5 and verse 4, he summarily says this, summarily states this, you who are trying to be justified by the law, by following just these words here, if I go do these things that we just learned in James, you've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. And so Paul concludes chapters 5 and 6, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, so to please the Spirit, and from the Spirit you will reap an eternal reward. Heavenly wisdom, worldly wisdom, which one are you going to use? Remember those nylon cords that I told you about in that root system that had just pinched it off and had grown out around them, but still had just pinched it off in the middle? In James... Excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. What cords of sin are choking off the Holy Spirit to work through you and to allow you to become this beautiful, huge, blossoming, pick your tree if you have a arborist bent Proverbs 5.22 says it this way the evil deeds of a wicked man may ensnare him the cords of his sin hold him fast he will die for lack of discipline led astray by his own great folly are we putting out the spirit's fire are we grieving the Holy Spirit in our speech and in the bitterness of our attitude that James talks about and just for a minute Just stick with me just for a few more minutes. This won't take near as long as it looks like it's going to. Can I, with all gentleness, and I wrote this because when I'm in the silence and quietness of my home and and praying as I write these, I really want to convey this message. And and with all gentleness, Joseph, I want to talk right into your heart. Every single one of you, I want to speak as gently as and truthfully and lovely as I possibly can. Because I'm going to take us through a little questionnaire. Because people, it makes an elder, and I don't mean that in some austere, gross manner, looking down on you. I mean in a submissive way. It makes an elder real proud. When his his sheep go down to Denver and do real well in Bible Bowl, I could give two rips about a Super Bowl. But when this flock is producing Bible Bowl champions, and I know knowledge puffs up, I'm all, I, I know, but I'm real proud of my little lambs and the way they're doing. And I'm real proud of the people that are teaching them. It makes an elder righteously proud 
So I say with all gentleness that I just want to, there's some cords that are strangling some of you. And you're going to think, as I read this, I told Lori, I'm going to have to say this because you're going to think when I read these questions to you and ask you to go through them, you're going to think, you wrote that at me, didn't you? You dirty dog. No? As God is my witness, and here's one of my brothers in the Lord that can testify to this. We sat on Wednesday night and went through a whole series of questions that Stuart Scott put together, and I told them, you know what I want to do with this chapter? I want to rip those pages out and throw them away. I don't want to read another one of these questions. They just went on and on and on, and I can't remember who was reading it. It might have been Jim. Just the, the sound of their voice, or it was Lauren, I don't know. Just they kept going. There's four pages of things about pride that are in your life. And he says, Stuart Scott says this, it's not a question of whether or not these things that I'm about to share with you are in your life, it's how much they're in your life. So it's not a question of whether or not this, oh, that one doesn't exist. Yes, it does. They all exist. How bad? To what extent? When God speaks of pride in the Bible, he speaks about pride in cancerous and malignant terms. We all have it. And I was telling them, I can't remember again if it's Jim or whatever, I just want to stick my fingers in my ears and tear those pages out and throw it away. It's so convicting. So as I read these questions, you're going to think, oh, you wrote that with me in mind. No, I didn't. I wrote them with me in mind. And I'm being totally transparent with you today. And your tendency, let me warn you, as, as is mine, who does that one remind me of? Oh, yeah, that's a good message for that guy over there. Yeah, Heath just pointed to Ben. <clears throat> okay? So, again, it's not whether or not you have these, question, these things, these characteristic traits in you. It's to what degree they are. Here's what it looks like. It's just a table, and it's life of a spirit-filled person, life of a worldly person. The life of one getting wisdom from heaven or the life of one getting wisdom from the world? Do people find you more often full of joy and love and peace? When I walk into a room, do people just want to hug me like they do Francis? The story of my life is no. Okay, I have this, I I always blame it on my appearance to my wife. It's just the the way I look. Ben Stiller will never star in a drama, a serious drama. You can't look at the guy seriously, for crying out loud, or Steve Carroll. Never. Because they got that goofy look. I've got this look that it looks like I'm a jerk. <laughs> she says, amen. She's known me for a long time. And it's true. But again, as we know in the Proverbs, the face reflects the heart of a man, right? So you'll know why I say that when we get through this list. Are you generally viewed by people as more full of love and joy and peace? Or... Or do others find you more often envious, bitter, restless? Just Do generally people find you overflowing with grace and gentleness? Just grace and gentleness? Ah, oh, there's a guy. Or do they find you overflowing with harshness and legalistic hardness? Let me do that for you. Do people find you encouraging and praiseworthy? Man, guy, just stop it. Would you, you just praise me and encourage me too much? Would you get away? Or do they find you critical and discouraging? You know, every time I'm around you, you bum me out. Do people find you patient and long-suffering like God? How long did he wait on you? 
27 years, 47 years, still waiting on us, right? The people find you patient long term, or they find you impatient and short. Honey, just those words made her flinch. <clears throat> honey, she knows what I'm going to say when it comes out like that. Honey, what? What are you going to peck at me now, you know? Right? Patient and long story. Do you find yourself more often joyfully waiting on the Lord? Joyfully waiting. Just joyfully waiting. That light turned red. Praise God. Praise the Lord for you driving so slow. Bless them. Just bless them. Bless their hearts. Or do people generally find you, or no, do you find yourself, this is, this is self-evaluation now, impatient with others, wondering, why can't they get the thing off the road? How long does it take to get this press release approved for crying out loud? Lori and I just went through this. I mean, veins on my neck get the size of rebar. It's yes or no. Do you find yourself at peace with your circumstances and singing praises to the Lord? I'll wait for that check. It's no big deal. Praise God. Praise God. I've been waiting on that check for two stinking months. Or do you find yourself frustrated and discouraged because things just aren't working out the way you'd like? As James said, selfish ambition. Bitter. Do you find yourself thinking on God's promises and how you'll joyfully complete the tasks he has for you? Or do you find yourselves thinking about how those around you are falling short, just not quite living up to your standard? Get out of the way. I'll do it myself. If Sean, Eddie, or Steve, or David were here, they would testify to that. Just don't worry about it. I'll do it myself. Do you find yourself, this is me, oozing with kindness and just wanting to do good to all those around you? Or do you find yourself oozing with a critical spirit and being unapproachable? Do you find yourself yearning to do more for God and depending on His Holy Spirit? Or do you find yourself above God's work and you've just got it all figured out? Thank you very much. Step aside. I'll take care of this one. I got it. You find yourself joyful in the mundane and just breathing an aspiration of joy that the toys are all over the house, papers and laundry are undone, floors are dirty. Just joyfully praising the Lord that those toys are there, that that floor is dirty, that the kids' room's a mess. Praise God. Or do these things undone absolutely drive you insane? Only because you've confessed it. I won't even say your name over the mic. Do these cords, are these cords just choking the life out of what God wants to use you in? Do you find yourself eager to listen to others and fully understanding when they're coming to you? My wife, I confess this to you. All the while praying for them as they talk. Let's chat. What do you got, bro? I got all day. And while you're talking, I'm just going to pray for you. 
Or do you find yourself impatiently waiting for them to stop so you can tell them everything you know? Yeah, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Just, you just be quiet. I'll tell you how to fix this. When we were going through these, Lori would say, that's a good one for you. Generally grateful and hopeful for everything that comes along. Hey, God's sovereign, man. Praise the Lord. Just slammed right in the back of that truck. Praise God. What lesson do you want me to learn from there? Slow down. Don't follow so close. Or do you find yourself generally scowling at what lies ahead? Are you generally trusting and hopeful of people? Or do you generally find yourself skeptical, doubtful, and even cynical? If you turn your Bibles with me to Romans in chapter 15, Lori and I have committed this to memory just recently in the past, I'm going to say, couple months. Suffice it to say, we could go on and on and on with this compare and contrast, this James-type style of what heavenly wisdom looks like and worldly wisdom looks like. And suffice it to say that we're all sinners saved by grace. And God at one time, created us to be with him. And our sin separated us from God. And no matter how hard we try and all the checklists that you can do, our sin cannot be replaced by good deeds. can't happen. But Jesus came along, God sent his son, and paid the price for your sin. That everyone who trusts in him will have eternal life and live with Jesus forever. All of us fall short. Like I said, God talks about pride and sin in the Bible in malignant terms. Not, do you have this? It's how much of it do you have? Right? All those questions. Nobody, and quite frankly, if you answered and you were just, joy, you know, pretty much, yeah, that's me on the left-hand column of the things, on everything that I read, you need to see me after church. I need to find out what you're doing. Romans chapter 15, may the God, and verse 13, may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. Joy and peace. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Commit that to memory if you'd like. You're probably working on something else. Those things that we said. Here's what's interesting. And I wanted to do, and Lori talked about, and I talked about doing a balloon and you know those big blow balloons that you put this fan into them and they blow up and you see them flopping around in front of gas stations or whatever? You know what I'm talking about? They're giant and they flop around up there. If you were to take and tie a cord around that and then take another cord and tie it around that and take another cord and tie it around that, if you cut one cord would that and this thing just flop down, if you cut one, would he just come to life? If you cut the second one, would he come to life? Say there's 10, 15 cords on there got to cut them all. you got to cut them all. If one of these questions was convicting to you, I just encourage you and ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would come in you, that you would recognize that sin, that you would confess your sin to your wife, your spouse, the person that you've hurt, the church, the elders, whatever. Just confess your sin. Snap that cord and let that Holy Spirit, the 
flowing rivers of living water. Jesus said, John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. You know what it says below that? I just found this out. I mean, I've read it. I know you guys have too. John 7, 37. Below that text, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. That's one I like better. But verse 39 says this. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. It's that water of life. We had planted that tree. I pulled it over, and its little bulb was this big because those cords had strangled it. Oh, it affected it. It looked like a monster. You may look like a monster on the outside. Oh, you're secure. Let make no bones about it. I believe that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, once saved, always saved. That's kind of where I lean, okay? But whatever. That's a discussion for another day, right? That's what the Bible says, so I believe it. You're sealed. That tree has been, it was taken off of that truck. If it would have been left on the truck, it would have died. We took it off the truck. We put it in the soil, and we put a water line to it, and it was going to live, Okay, it was going to live forever. Ugly, pathetic, distasteful to the whole home. As you pull up, you're just like, what's that? You don't pull up to my house and see the beauty. I just, what's that? That's ridiculous. Get rid of that thing. Is that what you look like as a Christian to the world? You're pathetic. It'll live. And when you choke the Holy Spirit out, It even affects your root system. That little root system on that tree wasn't but about this big around. When you choke it, it can't, and you don't allow that to flow up in you and flow out into other people's life and produce fruit and yield fruit in season and out of season, as Psalm 1 says, by a stream of living water, you choke it there. It even affects the little bulb. So the root system can't go down deep and wide and help the stability and integrity of the structural system, and it grows big and provides shade and beauty. Isn't that interesting? Take time and confess your sin before the Lord. Confess it to one another and cut those sins, those cords of sin, and allow the Holy Spirit to start to work in you and me. Pray that for me, please. J.I. Packer, old theologian, bless his heart, Oxford, just a brilliant, brilliant theologian. For Christian's life in all its aspects, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from the Spirit, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, There will be no believers and no congregations at all. In Ephesians, in chapter 3, and we're just about done, thank you for being so patient with me. And I mean that. Paul says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father in heaven. This is from a prison cell, and and he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how long and wide and deep and high the love of Christ is, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
those cords of sin, choke that off the Holy Spirit, and he can't fill you. That little tree couldn't fill with needles and pine cones and beauty and branch. It just couldn't. And that's Paul's prayer for us. Only the Spirit. Only the Spirit. Wisdom comes from heaven, and it produces humility. Application. We ask. Luke 11.1, 1, and I'm going first to 1 John in chapter 5.14. He says this. If we know, 5.15, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. 14, he says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked for. In Luke 11, Jesus' disciples sometime into his ministry come to him and say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? You're doing some pretty incredible stuff. Can you teach us to pray? He said, oh, absolutely. Our Father who art in heaven. And after that, he says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the heaven will be opened to you. And he says this, if you, disciples, even though you are evil, know how to give good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? And if we have this confidence that for John just talked about, if we have this confidence that we know what we ask for and we ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give us the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we will recognize and have this heavenly wisdom to recognize these sins that we just went through. If you want another copy, just get Stuart Scott's book. Go through them and find out What are you struggling with? If you are uh, self-deluded and you say, you know what, I'm pretty much everything you said on the left-hand side, the first thing you came out, I was a company. If you're that way, then get around an accountability group and let them tell you really how you are, okay? Because we tend to think we're better than we are. And confess those and cut those cords so that the life, the water of life can start to boil up in you and you grow. Paul says this in Ephesians in chapter 3, God gave me this grace, and it's twofold. Number one, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And number two, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. In, verse, in chapter 4, he, he has a bunch of stuff that goes in there. But he says, I've been given this grace for two things, okay, to preach the gospel and to make this administration, the administration of the church, plain to everybody. So it's really simple. And in verse 4, or chapter 4, he says this, but this grace has been given to you. Okay, I've been given this one, but this one's been given to you. And it was so that, he says, God did this so that through the church, through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God, that's what we're on today, right? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to everybody. So through us, through us, we make known the manifold wisdom of God. And he said, this grace was given to you. Some were given to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, so the body of Christ may be built up and we become unity of the faith, one in Christ. Isn't that phenomenal? I realize that the text did not have the Holy Spirit in there. But to leave you with any other message in saying, here's what you need for heavenly wisdom, good luck. Would have left you 
powerless. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of everyone here and mine as well. That you would identify for us and reveal to us and illuminate very clearly for us the sin that is entangling and choking off everything that you want us to be for you and for your glory. I pray that this little church would do supernatural things like your early church did. We pray and hopefully expect great things from you, Father, through this body called Eagle Bible Church. We even begin to pray now as Judge showed that video and ordered these invitations that on Christmas we may have, this gymnasium may be full. And that Eagle County, God, if we were taken away, that Eagle County would be severely hindered. But while we're here, Eagle County would be powerfully and positively impacted by our prayers, by the work that we do in this community. Oh, I thank you for these saints. I do. We love you. And we ask all of these things in the most precious and the most powerful name in all of heaven and earth, the name of Jesus Christ.